Hello, everyone, and welcome to DGR Dialogue, a weekly chat with the top minds in the industry on the hottest topics in B2B. My name is Brian Anderson, news editor at the Manjem Report, and with me today is Liz Miller, the Senior VP of Marketing at the CMO Council. It's great to chat with you today, Liz. Welcome. Oh, it's great being here. Now that I've heard the description of the podcast, I don't know why you invited me, but I'm going to try my hardest uh, to get some uh, good good insights here. But uh, I'm thrilled to be with you today. I'm happy that you're here as well, and I consider you one of the top minds in the industry, and the CMO Council is a very reputable organization. Happy to have you on. And today we're talking about the impact of GDPR, which obviously went into effect at the end of May, and there has been a lot of discussion around how B2B organizations are handling this, um, handling the regulation. Crazy enough, according to recent research that the CMO Council uh, published, 16% of companies still don't have a plan for GDPR compliance, and 11% don't know if they even have a plan. So and, and, and also 40% of companies don't believe GDPR applies to them, which is absolutely nuts. So yeah. we're hoping to, you know, look forward to digging into this data uh, a bit more with you here, Liz. Uh, so let's kind of jump right into it. Me and you discussed briefly about how little s- some marketers really knew about GDPR. It's yeah. it's been an ongoing discussion for more than two years. So how is this the case? Like, what are the main misconceptions that are confusing these companies? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a it's a great place to start, Brian. I, so I I want to be really fair to folks who maybe are in that forty percent, right? Because the reality of GDPR is that yes, it's been around for two years. But it is a massive piece of legislation that is not necessarily the easiest to read. Like if you were to print it out, I think it's like 300 pages or something crazy like that, right? And it's like one of those snakes eating its own tail where you start reading something and you're like, oh, no, I totally get this part of the regulation now. And then like three paragraphs later, it will say, yeah, but it doesn't really apply to you. So – It's really, really kind of confusing language in some parts. Um, In others, you've got scenarios where you think you understand what's going on, but then you don't really. So it's not it's not the easiest thing to deal with. So I, you know, I want to be fair about that. And I think one of the things that has probably driven some of the biggest misperceptions is around does GDPR apply to me or does it not? So I think the first misperception is that GDPR only applies to companies in Europe doing business with European customers. And that's absolutely incorrect. So with GDPR, the thing to remember is that GDPR protects the consumer, that end holder of the data. So it has nothing to do with where you as an organization are sitting. It has everything to do if you are selling product or if you are digitally connected and engaging with customers who are European and citizens of the EU. So, you know, and it also to to also an interesting caveat that I've heard a lot of legal resources bring up is that it will also cover that EU citizen who may be traveling abroad, who may be, uh, you know, searching for something or interested in something or signing up for a webcast, downloading a white paper. They might be in New York 
at the time, but they are an EU citizen. So this regulation protects the rights and the privacy and the safety of EU citizens and their data. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that you have to be selling something online. And I've heard a lot of marketers say this, and I think this is especially true in B2B, right? So a lot of marketers will say, oh, well, I'm not selling anything online, so I don't have to worry about that. And I already have the cookie dialogue on my website. This is not the same regulation and the legislation around cookies. So immediately separate that in your minds. And it's also not about commerce. The transaction that we are talking about is the act of a consumer providing us with their data. So if you have a white paper that you are encouraging people to download and someone in Europe, you have customers who are in Europe who are downloading that white paper, you now fall under the umbrella of are you securing and responsibly utilizing that citizen's data? Right. Um, I would say the third biggest misperception is I'm a small company. I don't have to worry about this. There is a caveat, a little bit of a loophole in GDPR that says if you are a company under 50 people, under 50 employees, GDPR does not apply to you. Here's the problem. If you read about like a page and a half later, it also says the loophole to that loophole is if you are a company under 50 people, employees, and you collect data and collect personal data off of your website, you are covered under GDPR. You must abide by GDPR regulations. So that means if you're a B2B company with under 50 employees that just has brochureware up, you don't have a single form up on your website. You're good to go. You you are excused from the GDPR conversation officially. <laughs> but if you've got a form, you are collecting personal information from those consumers. And you really need to start taking a look at your G- GDPR compliance and if you have a plan in place. So, you know, again, I, I, I want to be fair. It's very complex regulation, but it really does cover pretty much anyone who's in business today. Yeah, I agree there. And there's a lot of interesting facts that I didn't even know about, about when it comes to even an EU citizen being, uh, you know, traveling abroad, still uh, following under this regulation. And the number of loopholes within loopholes can um, be jarring for a lot of B2B businesses today. And and the research that the CMO Council conducted does a really great job in comparing and contrasting the business leaders when it comes to implementing GDPR compliance and executing on it versus the laggards yeah. in the space. So it, it'd be great to highlight some of the key traits and themes from the research that um, you saw between these business leaders when it comes to GDPR compliance and the laggards in the space. Sure, sure. I would say that the number one hallmark for the leaders is that this that GDPR compliance was not relegated to a single department in the organization, right? Everyone didn't look at it and say, that's eh, IT's problem, right? It, it involves systems, it involves data and how it's stored. Let IT deal with it. 
On the other hand, the laggards, almost all of them just kind of washed their hands of the entire situation. And really, it was IT or maybe even a combination of IT and legal that were handling the GDPR and really being the spearhead for the GDPR compliance and regulatory demands. But what we saw in the leaders was that it was a cross-functional task force that was really not only breaking down the realities of GDPR, but then also identifying where and how potentially critical touch points, whether that's customer service, whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, um, whether it's IT, operations, you name it, because they had that cross-functional team really being at the helm of GDPR compliance, you had everyone really putting the customer first and not putting compliance first. And I think that's probably the biggest aha moment that kind of came from really diving into what the leaders told us was that it was far more a concern of, okay, how do we continue to deliver an exceptional customer experience so that our customer isn't the one that pays the price for our organization being told we need to be a trusted, responsible, uh, you know, ethical utilizer of customer data. I think the second hallmark was definitely that this wasn't an issue about just data or the data collection and data storage. It's also very much about how we utilize and how we reflect back to the customer who has entrusted us with this data of how we are intending to secure and how we are intending to utilize this data. It changed the way in which we approached the customer about GDPR. And what I thought was so interesting about the leaders was that because this is a cross-functional task force, marketing was really able to take the regulatory demand that all communications to the customer about how their data is being stored, secured, and utilized is written in plain language. I mean, I, Brian, I'm sure that you can think of any number of emails that come to you about like privacy policies. And if you read them, it reads like a room full of lawyers just got together and put like every legal catchphrase that protects a company um, into one single document. As a yeah, consumer, like when you read that, are, are you really reading that and being like, oh, I completely understand what my rights are. You know, I completely understand what you plan to do with my customer data. No, most of the time you're like, okay, you just scroll through it and hit I accept. You know, there's, there's, there's not a clear understanding of what is about to happen. And so I think with the leaders, what was so incredible was they took GDPR as an opportunity to really solidify trust, to really go out and in very plain language state, we, this is how we want to honor your data right? This is how we understand how this transaction just went. You gave us your data because you expect value. You expect experience. You want personalization. This is how we're going to deliver it. And I think for those organizations that required a strategic conversation across the organization and a cross-functional commitment to how the customer experience was going to be delivered. That is a very hard step to take. And I think when you look at B2B organizations, when you've got a marketing team that is being held accountable for the demand that they're driving, they're looking at demand programs, you know, it is that age old problem of, uh, you know, 
you can still be bad at email and it will still yield some positive result. And that's perfectly okay. Those days, you know, in those leader organizations are kind of gone. They're looking and saying, no, we need to very intentionally and very specifically honor the promise we're making to our customer under GDPR by respectfully and authentically using their data. And I think that's, those are probably the two biggest things that we saw coming from the leaders that they, there was a cross-functional organization-wide agreement and task force on how they were going to move forward. Marketers were stepping up. They were leaning into the conversation. They weren't just washing their hands of it. And they saw it as an opportunity to really solidify trust with their customer. And the leaders themselves were reaping a lot of benefits from this cross-functional, yes. like unified mindset around GDPR compliance. It's it was crazy to see how uh, how the leaders in in the survey that you conducted were able to ultimately increase their customers perception of the brand just by you know being holistic with how their data is being used absolutely and i and i think that 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 probably was the biggest thing because i think when you started to look at the laggards <coughs> excuse me and their attitudes towards what was about to happen with gdpr there was an assumption that gdpr would somehow begin to limit or slow down the rate of engagement and interaction that they could have with their consumer. When in reality, what happened with the leaders was they actually saw more valuable engagement occurring. You know, they actually were empowered by the idea that change could happen and that change was possible. Whereas, you know, your your laggards, you've got about you know, about 37% that were planning to upgrade any of their systems or really make any big changes. So you have this kind of the laggard group is really this picture of organizations that are very much stuck in the status quo. And unfortunately, the price of that is going to be slower engagement. You know, you're going to see, and I think this is especially true in B2B, because B2B, B2B customers don't segment their lives to say, oh, this was a great experience, but you know what? It was a B2C experience. I can't possibly have that same expectation for my B2B digital experiences. That's not human nature. We don't think like that, right? So I think for those leader organizations who are taking into account that I'm a B2B customer and I still expect that you, as the brand that I'm working with, that a brand that I've done business with for potentially multiple years, for multi-million euros, right? Multi-million dollars. You should know me. You should know what products I own. You should know how my service calls have gone. You should know if I'm a happy customer because you know what? I'm giving you that data and now you need to responsibly use it so I trust you, not just with my data, but with my business. And that's the attitude B2B customers now have because you know what? They now see what is possible in the realm of digital, thanks to Amazon, thanks to Apple, thanks to Google, thanks to Facebook, thanks, you know, add all those digital consumer experiences in, they are seeing what's possible in the world of digital. And B2B absolutely is changing and shifting in those behaviors because of that. So I think when you start to look at GDPR, the, the number one thing is if you can look at GDPR as an opportunity to have the entire organization shift its perception 
around customer data and the responsible utilization of that data, all of a sudden, all of those projects where you wanted to clean up your databases so that you could have better communications, more relevant communications with your customer, that isn't a fight with IT anymore. Right. And that's what we heard anecdotally from a lot of the folks we talked to, right, was because we had this task force, because we were looking to clean up our data, we were looking to clean up our act and how we communicated with our customers. That was a marketing goal. But suddenly with GDPR, everything that we were doing with data to be compliant became a corporate goal. Right. So it became the linchpin to actually facilitate change. And that's something I don't think the laggards truly understood is that 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 was that was where the opportunity was. Rather, they looked at all the things they couldn't do. Oh, I'm not going to be able to just blast emails out to everyone anymore. Oh, I've got to ask for explicit opt in. Oh, my God, I've got, you know, I, I can't I can't give that person their data. There were a lot of things that they couldn't do. They couldn't see the opportunity. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there when it comes to the laggard seeing the compliance, GDPR compliance as a hindrance and a hurdle to them versus the leaders in uh, the B2B world that are taking it in stride and using it as an opportunity to create a better relationship with their customers there, especially when it comes to the laggard side of things with B2B organizations saying, oh, no, 20, 20%, 10% of my database is now not, you can't use it anymore because of this compliance issue. And yeah. in the end, you have the leaders on the other end saying, okay, we have opt-in with these um, these individuals within the EU, and we can now have these like meaningful conversations with them. So yeah, it's yeah. very interesting there. I also thought it was so interesting that, you know, one of the things that I think everyone assumes happens because if you're, you know, I think as a marketer, if you're using data, you kind of assume you know where all of your data is, right? It's, it's this kind of funny assumption that when we, when, and when we talk to people about it and when I've been face-to-face with marketers and talk to them about it, when you start to say, well, yeah, of course I know where, where all my data is. And then you ask the next question of, well, how, well, have you audited where all of your data touch points come from? The reality is, is that far too few people have actually, far too few organizations have actually audited where their data is actually coming from across their stack, right? So what we found with this research was that the leaders almost universally were taking that time to audit and have had had some kind, you know, over 55% had some kind of data audit that was showing where data was coming from, from how it was being stored, how it was being collected, and what was being collected. Whereas the laggards, they were just like, why, why should we do an audit? Like there was this kind of, you know, sound of crickets uh, from that audience because the reality was is that they didn't know what they didn't know. Um, they didn't realize where the data was coming from. And I think that's probably one of the biggest issues that a lot of these organizations that are going to look to catch up and going to be forced to catch up very quickly are going to face is that if you don't know the touch points across the organization that are actively aggregating and collecting customer data. There is no way for you to be able to come up with a truly significant and responsible GDPR compliance plan, right? Because you're just going to be looking at your silo of data. Like marketing's just going to look at where marketing collects data, but service collects data, sales collects data, you know, there's data being collected all over the organization. So again, when the leaders did this task force, 
and the leaders engaged in a company-wide audit, it put a total level playing field across every part of the organization so that everyone knew, okay, where and how are we touching the customer and where and how is the customer giving us their personal information back? Definitely agree with you there. This report, uh, this research that the CMO Council conducted is extremely extensive and it covers a lot of different uh, angles when it comes to GDPR compliance. What, when you were taking a look at the, the raw data and you yeah. were um, building out this report, what were some of the most surprising findings that you saw, especially when it came to comparing the the leaders to to the laggards out there. Yeah, you know, I I think the biggest thing, and I, and I, guy, you know, Brian, I'm going to be really honest with you here. It was a little bit depressing. You know, when when I look at the when I look at the data from the laggards and aggregate, kind of like across all of our questions, it was really clear that if I was to kind of put a a, a title on, if I was to describe those laggard organizations. Those are the organizations that are still probably product first, sales centric organizations, right? They're not necessarily looking at that intersection of where the customer is now driving experience, demand, co-creation, et cetera, right? The leaders on the other hand, absolutely were putting their customer at the center of the conversation. They were putting their customer at the center of the strategy. And they were putting their customer at the center of the opportunity that GDPR helped, right? If, if, if GDPR compliance could be met across the entire organization, was this an opportunity to actually improve the relationship, right? How could we begin to enumerate the, the opportunities that we could take here? That not only were we going to go back and touch them and say, listen, we need your explicit opt-in, but we're also going to go back and ask for preferences. This is an opportunity to potentially look at um, giving control to the customer about their engagement and communication. And I think for those brands that have taken that step of creating you know, a unified uh, customer profile where the customer is able to go in and set their preferences and understand the data that's being collected, understand how that data is being utilized, what you're finding is those customers are now saying, okay, great. I now get the exact communications, the information that I need and I want from you and I'm going to value that, right? So I think there's an amazing amount of trust that can actually be created. The other thing, if I if I look over, you know, not even just what the leaders or the laggards are saying, but if I look over the entirety of kind of the data set and the data pool that we got, here's the thing that strikes me. GDPR is not the first. It is absolutely not going to be the bat last bit of regulation that comes out globally about customer data. Um, is it going to be the worst written? No. Is it going to be the best written? Absolutely not. Oh, or at least let's hope not. Um, but the reality is, especially for let's take North American marketers who for, you know, to some degree said, no, this is a European problem. There is new legislation in the state of California around privacy and around data. There are multiple bills being batted around Congress right now um, over what should be done, you know, that are going to feel like and be very similar to GDPR. And the thing we have to remember is certainly in the U.S., 
the people who are going to be writing and crafting this regulation are also the same people who asked Mark Zuckerberg if the encrypted WhatsApp app was tracking conversations about Black Panther. Right. So, you know, this is not necessarily a body of people who are super tech savvy, understand data or even understand what the modern marketing organization does with that data. Right. So there is going to be new regulation that emerges and it is likely going to be even more complex and potentially more kind of organization shakeup worthy than GDPR was. So I think that as we look at GDPR, we really have to look at it as the tip of the spear, the first opportunity that we have to get on board and get everyone up to compliance. I think a lot of organizations kind of went out with the attitude of, we're going to secure this for our European database, and we're just going to do this for Europe, and we'll do whatever we have to globally to keep up with different global regulations, but we're not going to make this universal. And that's really a shame, because I think that what has happened with GDPR compliance strategy is that it has enabled and empowered our customer to show us exactly how they want us to utilize their data. And I think we don't give our customers enough credit for actually wanting to communicate with us. You know, the majority, the vast majority of our customers want to connect, want to engage, and quite frankly, want more relevant, contextualized, personalized content and engagement. But the reality is we're simply asking if we can have their data. We're not necessarily delivering on that experience that they want, that they expect in exchange. So I think that with GDPR, this is our first litmus test. If we're going to be able to make those changes and deliver that contextual experience, deliver on what relevance and value truly means for our customer, um, and, and really redefine what that social currency around data is going to be for us and our customer experience and, and, and how we're going to move forward with that. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially the concept of like the universal, um, the universal like compliance aspect of it. And like, like you mentioned, there's going to be new regulations coming down the line, uh, especially I think the one that's happening in California is slated to be uh, figured out by 2020, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what do you think, uh, what do you say to the folks that uh, there's one of the main arguments about taking this GDPR compliance and, and, and stretching it out, not just to the EU citizens and just having it, this, having this compliance for all um, all your customers and prospective customers. There's there's an argument going on about how that's creating more friction in the buying experience. Do you do you do you agree with that type of argument that this the amount of uh, the friction being created for like the double opt in and bringing that over to say the United States where everyone or consumers want things here now when they want it that sort of a, a expectation do you think it that's a valid argument or do you think that folks are just trying to kind of keep pulling the wool over their eyes as to how important this type of regulation is for the future yeah you know i think that i think there's certainly an argument to be made there i think that with with how a lot of companies have chosen to interpret that uh, requirement for the double opt-in and, and what that means um, is is absolutely part of the conversation but 
what the regulation is actually asking for is not so much the quantity of times that you are confirming opt-in, it's the clarity in which you are communicating what you intend to do with that opt-in, right? That there has to be explicit approval of how you are going to communicate and through which channels you intend to communicate, right? So I think that it's not so much a matter of saying, okay, I'm going to bombard you with more emails and things you have to read and things you have to check off than it is integrating in the sales process how you are going to communicate and the ease in which you are communicating what you need to communicate, right? So I think there are organizations that have gone out and made this really, really complex. I saw an example the other day where, you know, you have these like opt-ins and then the screens pop up and they just say, we just, you know, we want to restate our GDPR policy for you. And, you know, it's this long, arduous, you know, like two pages of legalese that come up and say when and where we're going to use this and how we're not going to use it and da, 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 you know, and it just, it's this very onerous, kludgy digital experience that I think anyone in their right mind is just going to hit the little X and just walk away from and go buy something else. Right. But right. what the regulation actually states is that the, what we communicate to our customers has to be in the language of our customer, not the dialect, not the, not the translation, but in, in simple, easy to understand speak that it's actually the legalese that the regulation is pushing back on. So it's, it's being able to say to the customer, hey, we just want you to know we are collecting, you know, we do collect data and our commitment to you is to use that data responsibly. So we'd like your permission to be able to do the following. And do you agree? If you don't, we'll respect that too. I think the hardest thing for a lot of, and I would say as a B2B marketer myself, I will say the hardest pill to swallow is the idea that we can't just keep pelting people because we know that eventually some point they're going to bite, right? And I think that for a lot of demand gen marketers, we kind of, we've kind of been brought up in this idea of, well, they downloaded one, so they're going to want to download all because, I mean, our papers are brilliant. So they're going to want to they're going to want to read all of it. Right. They're going to want to see every webcast because they had the audacity to log into one. So I think there's a lot of rethinking of what the relationship is and what that means that we have to do. I think that with GDPR, what we are being asked to do and what we are being told we have to do is be respectful of what our customer does and does not want us to do. And I think that as, as long as we can meet that standard and as long as we can follow through on what we've agreed to in that checkbox, our customer is still going to go and download that paper. They're still going to want to receive that email. What they don't want to receive are things that are irrelevant. They don't want to receive things that are out of context. They don't want to receive emails about white papers for <coughs> airplanes when they only buy truck parts, right? So I think right. that it's, it's forcing us to rethink not just how we communicate, but quite frankly, what the leaders have done that I thought was the biggest lesson to learn was that they are also rethinking what 
it means to be a content marketer in the age of GDPR, right? What content do we sell? If we, if we really have one shot, if we've got one email a week that we're committing that that's all we're going to send you is this one email per week. How do I make sure that the content that I send you is the most relevant to you as that individual customer? Right. And so taking away the concept of spray and pray. Yeah. Is it like a bummer for a lot of us? Cause it's like, Oh man, it's just be able to pelt that database. And it was all good. You know, but now we have a regulation that says, ah, not so fast. The customer gets to define what they want from you. And that's a really bitter pill to swallow. Yes, it is. And it's great to see from this research that there's a lot of, a lot of B2B organizations getting it right. Um, it's yeah. scary to see that uh, that there's a large portion that are, are, are getting it wrong or are still lagging behind when it comes to this. Um, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today's discussion. I want to thank you again, uh, Liz, for taking the time to chat with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. It was great. It was great to have you, and thank you to everyone of our listeners for joining us today. We were only able to honestly scratch the surface of these survey findings, so be sure to check out uh, this new research from the CMO Council. Uh, a link to the survey report can be found in the description um, below. So thanks again for everyone taking the time, and have a great rest of the day. Mm-hmm.